Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Dr. Haley Fisher-Wright. She's the president and CEO of MGMA. She's a nationally respected healthcare executive and physician leader whose work focuses on medical management innovation and creating results and creating cultures of excellence. She began her career as a practicing physician, working for 19 years as a pediatrician, and later opening her first successful medical practice in 1997, moving on to serve in a variety of leadership positions with clinics, hospitals, and systems. Later, as a management consultant, Dr. Fisher Wright worked with leading Fortune 500 companies from oil and gas to financial services companies to increase efficiency and develop new strategies to grow their market share. She's long been focused on improving physician culture and performance of health practices and co-authored Tribal Leadership, a New York Times bestseller focused on building business cultures of success. She's going to be focusing on leadership and how that concept of leadership has morphed and the role of physicians in leadership. And so with that, uh, I'm really excited to open up the microphone to Haley to join us today. So glad you made it. Oh, thank you, Saul. I appreciate the invitation. So Haley, tell us a little bit more about your journey. Why did you decide to get into healthcare? Well, it's a great question. I think I have both, the answer to that is both just like everybody else and a little bit different. So what I would say is I am your classic oldest child. And so I think my driver when I was a kid saying I want to be a doctor was that I wanted to help people. But, you know, when I was a kid, probably the most respected person in my world was the pediatrician. And my pediatrician, Dr. Amer, had been my mom's pediatrician and was arguably probably one of the most respected doctors in Denver where I grew up. And I think he was just a great role model. Mm -hmm. He was kind, he was smart, he was caring, he was well-respected. And I thought his job was the best job in the world. Um, (laughs) And when I got a, when I was in the, I think a junior in high school, I got a little bit different view of the healthcare field. My grandfather suffered what would ultimately be his terminal stroke. And I had a very different experience, which was how he was cared for in the hospital. And I thought that there were things that could have been done better, communication better, better care of him, better decision making, which, you know, I realize is arrogant for from a 16 year old, but it's what I thought at the time. And so I thought first I was like, I want to be just like my pediatrician. Then when I was a teenager, it was, hey, I think that we can do this better. And Mm -hmm. then my last kind of I've got to go do this was when my dad was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and just seeing Mm. what it was like living with someone who was a, he he was 44 when he was diagnosed. He, a vital, alive person be diagnosed with a chronic disease. And at that point in time, which was 30 years ago, really having nothing to offer him and how you work in the healthcare system, navigating chronic disease not something that we're terribly great at even today. So with those three different kind of prisms on healthcare, that's what ultimately convinced me that I needed to pursue a career in healthcare. 
Wow. What a great story. And you do end up getting in those situations where despite your knowledge, despite everything that you can do, you can't help. And that's, and that's tough, you know, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, you know, it, it's not easy to care for, for folks. So the concept of leadership is something that I think drives a lot of our listeners, you know, yeah. how, can I, how can I do it better? And you've had such a diverse experience, uh, Dr. Fisher, right, in, in both a frontline physician, a management consultant, and now leading the MGMA, what would you say is that topic that needs to be front and center in leaders' minds today? And what's the problem that usually gets in the way? So there isn't just one problem. (laughs) 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 So if I stand back and I'm, I'm objective and I strip out my personal opinion and strip out the mission of the organization that I proudly represent, and I just put on my management consultant hat, what I recognize is we're focusing on the wrong question. So in the United States, we focus a lot on cost of care. And what I find is particularly getting involved in looking at different systems around the globe and looking at how other healthcare systems approach the challenges of of delivering healthcare to a large population, what I recognize is, and this is my opinion, not my organization's opinion, we have a healthcare finance policy, not really a health care policy. So when we talk about as a nation for the United States, as we talk about healthcare, we're talking about money. We're not talking about healthier populations. We're not talking about preventive care. We're not talking, I mean, this is probably the most controversial thing that I'll say the whole interview. We're not talking (laughs) about end of life and the fact that we spend 20 to 30% of our healthcare dollars in the last six weeks of a patient's life. So We tend, the issues, as I kind of said at the top of the question, are so much bigger and so much richer, And but we're focusing on the wrong thing. So in a certain way, I think a way for us to approach it and what I'm pushing MGMA to do is to say, leave behind everything you know and approach this as if you have a whiteboard, Mm -hmm. knowing that you can't eat the elephant all at once. Where can we take a bike that will actually create impact? And from an MGMA standpoint, I think as the United States, we tend to look at things on the top line. So what policy initiatives, what large health system, what large health insurer. I'm utterly convinced that if we start doing the small things that start where care is delivered in the medical practice, that we can change our health care delivery system. And so that's what we're focusing on. I love it. It's a great call out. And and look, I mean, you know, you, you really have to be candid with yourself and with the colleagues that you work with if you're going to actually make change. And so I'm, I'm glad, Haley, that you came and gave it to us as it is. And so I'd love to hear from you maybe an example of how this has been done. And maybe you bring about, you know, somebody that was a guide in the process, how they helped. And if there's a way to summarize the plan, that was enacted, that'd be awesome too. Yeah. So the answer is, let me start by saying my personal opinion is organizations that are committed to change have to be honest enough with themselves to say what we're doing today, we know incredibly well, we do it hopefully to the best of our ability. But Mm. if we're actually going to create meaningful change, we either, we have to do something different and we may not know what we don't know. Yeah. In healthcare, we hate saying that. As a physician, (laughs) you know, you don't want to say that in front of a patient. I mean, I was always comfortable saying, I don't know, but I can send you to someone that does as a CEO to say, I don't know, and I don't know who to even reach out to is not something you want to tell your board. So 
from that standpoint, we recognized we had to bring in innovation. But as I looked at other healthcare organizations who were talking about innovation, to me, that just meant writing a blank check with, without any outcomes. And I'm a fan of Clay Christensen from Harvard and, mm-hmm. and really about discipline entrepreneurship. That's yes. how I feel about discipline innovation. So what we decided is, okay, we're so good at doing what we've done for the last 93 years, but we don't know what the future is. And we're comfortable in saying we don't know what the future holds. We, in fact, I'll even say to you, I don't know what the future holds. <laughs> However, what I do know is that we can put in processes that allow us to be agile when the market shifts. So yeah. you asked me about what my process is. It's about discipline. So these are the four points, discipline, okay. focus, execution, and outcome. So we have a clear idea of where we want to go. It's like sailing. I want to get yeah. to that island over there. So you get in your boat and you're going, and that's the discipline is I need to sail to that island. The focus like is, I do like sailing. <laughs> nice. I, I, I've been more like, I love the water. I'm kind of more power boating, but yeah. Oh man, <laughs> sailing, sailing is so involved. It is. And it, to me, it's the skill involved, but yeah. that quiet and the, it's so beautiful. Oh, it's I mean, beautiful. Just, I love yeah. it. So the metaphor of just taking that ship and or that boat and trying to get to a place and what you recognize is there's so many variables that are between you and where you want to go and you're not going to get there in a straight line. There's going to, mm-hmm. you're going to go right, you're going to go left, wind's going to come up, there are all these things, but it's the focus that keeps you moving towards that direction. Mm-hmm. So that focus is what as barriers come up, you run out of money, you run out, uh, you need different talent, you're, let's be honest, your initial assumption of how I'm going to get from point A to point B, totally false. <laughs> then, you, to then you have the focus to say, this is what we need to do, and you recalibrate. So there's no downside in saying this isn't going to work, but the focus is in saying not just, well, it's not going to work, we're going to quit. The focus is in saying what will work and how do we pursue it. That's the, that leads us to the third point, which is execution. And ultimately, for as much as we talk about all the things that we need to do in healthcare, and I've got a Harvard Business Journal on my desk as we're doing this interview, uh-huh. and it talks about all the things you need to do to be great. Yes. The reality is you actually have to do them and you have to follow through. And that's about execution. And I would actually say we're so-so at execution because we never stop doing things. We just keep adding things. And so part of the discipline of execution is saying, what am I going to stop doing so I can start doing something else? And I am militant with our teams about this is your body of work. What are you going to quit doing that isn't adding value to execute on what we're going to do? And I'm pretty much a dictator about that point. (laughs) And then the last point is outcomes. And this is something in healthcare that I would say is our Achilles heel. We talk about that we want to look at outcomes but we actually are more invested in the process than the outcome. So when we talk about best practice, best practice is process. I would actually, and so this is, I guess, the second most controversial thing I'll say, get, <laughs> get rid of best practice because I think what it does is level us down to mediocrity and mm-hmm. instead focus on how do we get to outstanding outcomes. And as someone who's sitting in a suburb of Denver today, how I get to outstanding outcomes in my business which is a $30 million nonprofit healthcare association is going to be very different than the hospital that is three miles south of me that is a 
$250 million business that has a different body of work. We're both in healthcare, but we have different things. And that parallel between my outcome is going to be different than theirs is very much parallel to physicians where, because we know that 60% healthcare delivery is really social determinants of health, that means 60% of what we're delivering is very regionally dependent. And mm-hmm. so because healthcare is local, that outcome has to be able to shift from population to population. And third controversial thing I'll say, and it actually requires the patient's participation and their say in what they want their outcome to be. So I'll give you a great example on outcome. It's easy for me to define that the outcome for MGMA is that we build our membership, build our audience, and achieve a financial outcome. But in healthcare, if I'm going to look at when I was a physician, I would say I want to measure everybody's blood pressure, but is that an outcome? Not really, because it's not necessarily going to change people's health. It's a much different conversation, just using my dad as an example, to sit down and say, Mr. Fisher, you have high blood pressure, you have diabetes, you're kind of towards the neurologic terminal end of your disease. What outcome do you want? And my, my dad would tell you, I want to be able to eat because that's one of the last things I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm because I can't really do what I want to do, but I don't want to die of a stroke. So he's already identified he wants to keep his blood pressure down. Then as a physician, I would say, okay, let's agree to compromise on what you want to eat. Let's focus on healthy foods. And this is what healthy foods look like. Let's talk about how we manage your blood pressure so that, and let's talk about the signs of a stroke and those kind of things. So what I'm doing is I'm tailoring my message of high blood hypertension management, diabetes management, but I'm tailoring it to him and what's important to him towards Mm -hmm. his end of life. And that's what I mean by outcomes. That's why process needs to be led by what the outcome you want. And the outcomes have to be meaningful to the patient. In our business, the outcomes have to be meaningful to my staff. Mm -hmm. It's not fair for me as a, or it's not reasonable for me as a CEO to say, we need to make more money. What I need to communicate to the staff is why is that important? It improves our influence. It allows us to actually invest back in the organization, allows us to deliver more services to our membership. So the discipline, focus, execution, and outcomes is kind of the formula that I use that I have found to work really well, regardless of what industry that I'm in. Love it. And uh, the the great thing about this, folks, it's something that you too can think about employing in what you do. I love focus. And for me, focus drives the beginning of my day, my quarter, my year. And uh, love how you've woven in these other themes of discipline, execution, and outcomes. And then it's just kind of like wash and repeat, right? Yeah. yeah. And you'll learn. And there's a learning curve to all of this. And that's why physicians in particular, we don't like to hear the word failure at all. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, I, I have failed every bit as much as I've succeeded, but my biggest successes came after, right after typically epic failures. Mm-hmm. And I think because we're typically high achievers, executives in general, not just physicians, we don't want to fail. We don't recognize that that is part of the recipe. And you know, your goal obviously is to minimize those. But just to say my A plan makes no sense. I was just cleaning up my desk and the stuff I was looking at that I did in 2015, it was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but, I, but I have four years life learning, maturation, experience that would lead me down a different path than in 2015. And I think that's what you need to 
bake, as I mentioned, we bake in that things are going to change. That agility allows you to have some grace and move on. What would your call to action be to the, to the listeners? I would say go through not even a day, go through a morning, uh-huh. look at the work you're doing and say, if I didn't just kind of go through the motions, what is the outcome I'm going to, I want to achieve? And if you actually go through that and list it down, it's an exercise I have our staff go through. What you realize is the stuff that you're excited and passionate about is the stuff that you understand what the outcome is and why, not to be Simon Sinek about it, but you understand why you're doing it and that you're in values alignment with it. And I think to have pep, uh, happy employees, that has that getting that cl- down to that level of clarity really engages the culture in a way unprecedented in healthcare. Love that message. Yeah. Clarity does drive focus. It does drive just inspiration. And tell us about one of your biggest setbacks. What did you learn from that? Okay. So it was funny. I was, I saw that this was going to be one of the questions. And Uh as I mentioned before, (laughs) I have a, I have a long list I could choose from, but I think I'm going to go with my standard physician one. And that is, uh, so I'd been, I'd been made a chief medical officer and I had been chief medical officer for about four days. So, you know, of course I was excellent at it. And my boss, the CEO of the hospitals had said to me, we have hospitalists and we need our hospital service to do additionally X, Y, and Z. Can you please speak to their medical director and get her invested? So I no problem. So I sit down with this, this woman who was an excellent physician, just honestly a really decent human being. And I speak to her like a business professional because I'd been a management consultant for seven years. I'd been really successful. I'd run my practice. I was a business person in my practice, you know. So I spoke to her about business reasons and about the money involved and why it was important and I needed her leadership. And I thought we had this amazing conversation. I mean, I thought I thought I did an outstanding job. Yeah. So the next day, my boss calls me into her office and says, tell me, how did the conversation go? And I said, oh, I think it went really well. I think we're going to get exactly what we want. I think she was really bought in. And she said, really? I said, yeah. She said, you sure about that? And I said, uh, I'm not now. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> yeah, she quit. And oh I my said, gosh. what? She said, yeah, she quit because as a physician, you were talking to her about money and what you needed to, the, what the hospital's agenda was for revenue. And that was not her agenda as a physician whatsoever. And there was no way she could go to the rest of the hospitalists and talk to them about money. They wanted to talk about taking care of patients and having more time and enhanced relationship. So you were speaking dollars and they were speaking relationship and patient care. And it was an epic failure. It actually, it it costs the organization time, which is money. But more than anything else, it was actually one of those true physician kind of minded things where I was like, I got this. I'm such a leader in my own mind. And I recognize in retrospect, I listened to, I did not listen to anything she said. I wasn't watching her body language. I wasn't, I was just pursuing my own independent agenda. And it was a great and humbling uh, lesson for me that even though I thought I had done the best job ever, I'd done actually irreparable harm in a certain way. And that I wasn't in what I had originally thought I was being the world's best leader in having this conversation. In reality, I wasn't a leader at all. In fact, I was the opposite of a leader, if you will. Wow. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking about that and this critical leader in the organization quits on you. 
Yes. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my God, what am I going to do here now? You know, it's like. Exactly. Well, and I, and actually now having eight years since that conversation, one of the really important things that I pulled out of that. Yeah. What's was the pearl? The pearl in this is that as healthcare administrators, so people like me, we speak business and business speaks the language of money. Physicians right. do not speak business by and large. Administrative physicians do, but by and large physicians don't. They speak the language of patient care Yes. relationship. So I was speaking to her in a language she couldn't possibly understand. And in, fair, in all fairness, she didn't understand what I was trying to say either, even though probably our goals were similar because I was speaking a completely different language and have different values as a business person that she does as a physician, we couldn't come to alignment. So what I push physician leaders to do is to be very mindful that the role is to be in a certain way the translator between a purely business model and a purely patient model. And their level of success is to the degree that they can facilitate those relationships across those two independent language stakeholders. Love that. That's a great way to put it. And if you're thinking about this from the hat of a healthcare executive or a physician that's in a leadership role, I think Dr. Fisher Wright's insights here could be plugged into her model, right? I mean, and then and then you add this translator hat, this this responsibility into your execution or yes. or make it part of your discipline and rinse and repeat. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, this is some really valuable work that you've done and, and stories that you've highlighted. How about the other side of the coin? You know, what's been an example of something that you're so proud of that's been a result of following this, this plan? So what gets me up every morning is, and the, where I experience pure joy in my career path is, is successfully transforming organizations. So mm -hmm. When I was hired as a chief medical officer, watching medical staff change and shifting that to a much more forward-thinking, progressive, patient-oriented, changing the entire care model for the community that lived up there, that was actually probably one of my proudest moments. And basically, we had gone from, I remember we had an executive team meeting and we, we'd asked the question, would you come here for care? And people were incredibly uncomfortable with that question and no one would answer it. And that's when I started. By the time I left, pretty much all of us were getting our care at the hospital. So that's kind of put your money where your mouth is. Where are you actually gonna go get seen? So that gives me a lot of pride, but honestly with MGMA, the, so I've been here for over four years. At the time I came in, I thought this was a turnaround, which I'd done as a business consultant and I was very good at and very competent at doing. It ends up that, and I think this is true of all associations, it's not unique to MGMA. We're all in the midst of a transformation because as we make a generational shift on our members, what our members want and the relationship of membership is very different yes. than what it was 20, 50 years ago. So it's basically the transformation of MGMA, and we're still transforming. We still have a lifetime worth of work. But over the last four years, I'm really proud of because I now, I think we were on the pathway to becoming irrelevant four or five years ago. And I mm -hmm. think that we are relevant and I can see a pathway where we will become a necessity. And I'm incredibly proud of that. 
I love that. No, you know, and that's uh, definitely something to be be proud of when you're providing the resources and inspiration and just ideas to this group. You got to change. And one of my favorite quotes is a business that does not change is a business that is going to die. Yeah, it's the evolutionary imperative. Adapt, migrate, or die. Yeah, I mean, and and it's that simple. It is that simple. And yet, but it's not easy. (laughs) <laughs> That's yeah, simple things are the hardest. And yeah. you know, a lot of times, I mean, we navigate this, I think, in healthcare every single day. And it's not unique to where I work today. In fact, where I was in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, and the, working with someone about two weeks ago, and National Health Service is actually undergoing some of the same changes that we are cost issues, overuse quality, et cetera. So these are, once again, not unique to the United States. But what we were talking about was all you need to do is X. It's so clear. And yet getting to X will take countless dollars, countless efforts, countless energies, a generation of transformation as we age out certain positions and bring in new positions, create new business models. So it's simple, but it is arguably the most complex things that we have to do. Yeah, that's so true. And if you had to highlight one of the most exciting projects you're working on today, Haley, what is that? Oh, easy. So in the spirit of transforming MGMA, our, basically our golden brand our, and our golden goose is our data, which is we provide physician compensation data for the nation. Mm -hmm. And we are the gold standard. And we've been that pretty much forever for at Mm -hmm. least uh, as long as I've, I mean, I think it's been since 1909. So a while. But what, and it used to be you just have a table. So you'd say, okay, internal medicine doctors in groups this big that are in Chicago, what is your compensation range? What I'm really excited about is that we're actually looking at how do you visualize everybody, every single entity in healthcare now has access to data. Data is no, like people would say, we have data. Great. What no one is doing incredibly well is using that data to get to cost-effective outcomes. So, and I would say I was harsh. It's not no one. It's very difficult to get to actually making the data information that is actionable. So what we're doing is taking our, is working on revisualizing our uh, physician compensation so that it actually fits into the rubrics of management operations and creating creating a visualization in such a way that it actually drives operations successfully because the basically the lifeblood of a practice every what people come to us is decreasing expense and increasing revenue so that they can continue to provide care so we want to be able to take our data and translate it in such a way that it's meaningful to -to day-to-day practice and so that's the project we're working on love that and you guys are mainly working with provider systems i imagine we are work, actually, we represent the diversity that is healthcare. So we work with small independent practices, one or two physicians, and then we mm. work with the largest health systems in the country. Got it. Uh, got it. So, yeah. So we, we actually cool. are the diversity that's healthcare today. Love that. Wow. Super exciting. So really, truly appreciate the thoughts that you've shared with us today, the process around discipline, focus, execution, and outcomes. I'd love to conclude with your favorite book and then a closing thought that you'd leave the listeners here with today. Yeah. So favorite book by far is The Alchemist by Paulo. Love that book. I love that book. I read it every year. I get something different (laughs) out of it every year. Do you? Uh, Yeah, I really do. I was telling someone I purchased that originally. I was on a a 
trip to Asia and I was in the Washington DC bookstore and I mm-hmm. just happened to pick it up, not really knowing much about it. Honestly, I thought the cover wow. was pretty yeah. and it kept, I, I was flying to Singapore. It kept me up the entire trip because it just was so evocative of humanity. I think the best yeah. of humanity. And I did think it was, it was poetry. So that's my favorite book by far. Mm. I love it. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. I I can't say I read it every year, but I've read it about three or four times. And folks, if you haven't read The Alchemist, it's one of those must reads. Uh, And uh, every time I pick it up too, it's like I do get a different angle on it. So funny that you say that uh, happens to you too. Yeah, I I usually read it on New Year's Day to kind of start. Oh, really? Start the new. Yeah. I like that. It's kind of my. I like that. It's a ritual. It is my ritual. So closing thought, I think I resisted the clickbait of say of talking about physician burnout in this uh-huh. conversation. But what I'm, the closing thought I want to leave people with is every single person le- listening to this has an opportunity to make an impact and a difference, which is why we went into healthcare. Mm-hmm. Strip down all the things that aren't working and move directly into what actually is. What does work is that you have you, whoever's listening, has an opportunity to make an impact. And I think that the more you can embrace that, the more we'll be able to change healthcare for the better. Love it. It's a great message. And and folks, take that to consideration in what you're doing. You're here to make an impact. So what would be the best place for listeners to continue the conversation with you or follow you? So I have a website and it is a, it is an MGMA website, even though it is specific to me. It's Dr. Haley at drhaley.com. And that's spelled H-A-L-E-E. And so I have a website there and you can send emails to me and I'd be happy to respond. Outstanding. And folks, we'll, we'll place that link and email address inside of the show notes. So be sure to go to outcomesrocket.health for the full transcript and best ways to connect. Haley, Dr. Fisher, I really, really, really appreciate the insights you've shared with us today. Thank you, Saul. And I appreciate, once again, I appreciate your listeners giving us the time today. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.